0: Everybody, welcome back to Compass Point. I'm Spencer Amaral. With me is the lovely Bailey Amaral.
1: Hey, guys.
0: And the unborn Amaral
1: <laughs> within her. He is here and soon to arrive.
0: So, we had uh, the final presidential debate uh, this week, and we wanted to do some recapping with you guys on that. But first, how about this fall weather, Bailey? Are you enjoying the cold weather?
1: It's so beautiful. I'm as a Texan, I'm used to sweating all the time every day, all day, forever. <laughs> and today this morning I did not sweat, which is a beautiful thing. So I'm just yeah. embracing the little things in life.
0: It's a great morning for some hot coffee and or a tea. good conversation. That's right Bailey's not a coffee lady, she's a tea lady. Sorry um, guys. But let's jump into the debate, Bailey. Um, and let's let's start off with just the obvious. Or the big stuff who do you think won and why
1: mm, this is a good question uh and I before I get my answer I just want to acknowledge how hilarious it is that when we turn to different news channels um, after the debate in the 24 hours following we noticed that the polls had wildly different answers from you know CNN was showing very clearly hmm. you know president or uh, vice president Biden had won the debate 60 40 and fox news or others were saying clearly trump won the debate and obviously there's i'm sure was a twitter battle so uh this this is a contentious question um and i think it's hard to answer with the way we conduct debates today but for me um i would have to say superficially at least i think vice president biden won uh, because he had a relaxed trustworthy persona through the debate and um I'm I'm one who likes to qualify my answers. I do think on policy, President Trump won. But I think because his persona was so different, even though he was more respectful and did not interrupt Vice President Biden um, nearly the way that he did several weeks ago in the first debate, mm. I really thought um, it was a challenge for him to overcome Joe Biden's polished persona as a, as a politician. And um, specifically... I, I thought of the poll you and I heard about a couple of weeks ago that um, a- approximately 6% of eligible voters today are still undecided. And of those voters, the primary thing that they say they're looking for is a trustworthy candidate that you know they listen to and really feel like they can connect with.
0: Someone who seems presidential.
1: Yes. And unfortunately, I think... <clears throat> At least in persona, I think Biden came off that way. Now, if you start looking deeper into the policy side and think about what they were saying, the vision they had for America, um, who was consistent in what they were promising, I really think that was President Trump. But I thought he had a real challenge to defend his record the other night. So I'll leave it there for now because I'd love to hear who do you think won the debate and why.
0: Well, I walked away from the debate immediately thinking that there was no winner because, <laughs> because neither one really did anything um, special, I guess. Um, but I will say that one of them was clearly improved from the first debate, <laughs> and that, that was President Trump. So true. I think that the most improved debater award goes to President Trump. Now, the funny thing is, is that after the first debate, when Trump just went all out, uh, to savage Biden I think a lot of Trump's base just got a real kick out of that and um, and thought he had owned the debate but yeah this time around we saw him be more restrained and hold back mm-hmm. and it produced a better debate overall I think you didn't get that same sense of Trump just dominating the time but I think that's mm-hmm. actually a good thing it's true Uh, because it does stand to attract the independent voter. And so I I think actually to the point you made about people looking for someone who's more presidential, Trump made his pitch that I can be restrained and I can respect the rules and I can you know be part of that kind of a conversation. That's a good point. So that might have been more attractive to those, that small demographic who doesn't know who they're voting for. But let's be real, most people do know who they're voting for. Mm -hmm. I think... Maybe if there's anything that could come out of these debates is that there are people who are leaning towards voting for one or the other, Mm -hmm. and then they might just be so disappointed by something that happens (laughs) that they decide not to vote at all.
1: That would be a tragedy, but I think you're right.
0: Now, you notice everywhere you look, there's all this social branding about vote. Vote, vote, vote. Vote vote everywhere. And let's be real. Who's that targeting? It's targeting the disaffected leftist voter who has no um, romantic notions left about the Democratic Party, and they're Mm -hmm. willing to just stay home, kind of like, you know. I suppose, that's the funny thing, though, actually. I'm not sure if this was a big issue for Hillary in 16, because obviously she won the popular vote, and Mm -hmm. there was massive uh, voter turnout in 2016. And so I don't know how much you could simply chalk it up to a bunch of people staying home. But the left seems to be convinced that they own the country and everyone and every time you turn over a rock, there's a Democrat underneath. And they're convinced that if you can just force people to vote, then they'll win by a landslide. I don't know if that's actually true. You know, then you have the, the conservative version of that is the, the silent majority and mm-hmm. the idea that, you know, there's a whole lot of silent people out there who don't talk a lot about politics, but they're very conservative, actually, deep down.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I think that's the mystery that we're left with and wondering, okay, these debates, who did they really connect with? Who did they encourage? And I still feel like we're in every bit of as mysterious a place as we were four years ago before the Trump-Hillary election in 2016. And you're right. I mean, it was an interesting time four years ago, voter turnout, but I know that the numbers for young people in particular four years ago were... low. They were really counting on a lot of our generation and new voters to come out passionately and vote, and they didn't. And so I'm really curious if that will change this year. I mean, we see a lot of trendy Facebook ads, like you mentioned, um, challenging you to vote and all these different get out the vote efforts, weird celebrity commercials where they say they're like taking off all their clothes so that Hmm. they can encourage you to vote. And I'm like, okay, that's really scary. Yeah. That that's how low we've sunk. But um, yeah, I I really I think they're desperate to turn out as many people as possible. But I'm skeptical of the the methods they're using to do that, and if it will change anything four years later. So I don't know. It's it's really interesting to see. Hmm. And I think
0: that's a good point. Well, let's let's move forward because. The, the more interesting, I think, points to discuss are not just who won, but what actually was said and what happened. Absolutely. So what were your highlights from the debate? I had a few, and I think one of the biggest highlights from the debate for me was um, on the tax issue when Joe Biden didn't have a way to really explain the difference between mm-hmm. his tax policy and, Biden, and, and Trump's other than we're going to repeal the Trump tax cuts. And this is what gets me. And I don't think Biden's doing a good job of explaining this clearly to voters. Maybe it's because there is no good answer. But Mm -hmm. you can't tell voters, I'm going to cut the, I'm going to erase the tax cuts that Trump passed. Mm -hmm. And your taxes are not going to go up. You can't have both of those things. Yeah. So Biden wants to appeal to middle class people and say your, your taxes aren't going to go up unless you make over $400,000. Right. Mm-hmm. Which... But if you erase yeah. the tax cuts, then obviously the taxes will go back up for everyone who was helped by the Trump tax cuts. And this is why it's so important for people to actually know like the facts and the average American family. Um, had i think close to two thousand dollars of extra income because mm-hmm. of the trump tax cuts mm-hmm. and again that's not you know the government sending people checks that's the government just letting people keep their own money yes and not take it in the form of taxes biden would love to get his hands back on that money it seems um and there were also some studies done this week that say that biden's tax policy will result in an, a net average of sixty five hundred dollars out of the average American family's income, that's Yikes. a lot. And of course, Biden—he's promising a lot of things, right? So he's saying, "Well, you give me six thousand five hundred more dollars, and the government will provide you with a whole lot of services." Mm-hmm. Well. Is the government good at providing those services in the first place? Am I actually going to get $6,500 worth of services back from the federal government? Probably not. Most people actually don't need that much from the federal government in the course of an average year. But if you know that's what you're paying out every year, I I don't see how that's going to be a help to the average American family.
1: That's true. So do you think in his campaign, as they're strategizing, do you think they're counting on the American people to be ignorant of the full picture of his proposed tax plan? Or do you think he's willing to alienate um, certain Americans who maybe make more money and try to connect with lower income Americans? What do you think his
0: goal is? I think the bet that the the left tends to make is that they can win more people based on their ginormous promises Mm -hmm. of, you'll get free this and free that and free everything. They hope that that wins more people than the few people over here who are telling you, oh, you're actually not going to get your money's worth out of these government services. The government's not good at cr- providing services in the first place. Mm-hmm. And these these uh, things are going to be massively expensive. And they're going to drive our country into debt. Yeah. You know? So maybe it comes down to personality type. And True. I think you do see some of this in the stereotypes between the left and the right. But on the left, you get people who want to buy into all these promises of what government can provide. Mm-hmm. And on the right, stereotypically, you get people who are far more skeptical mm-hmm. of government's ability to to fulfill its promises.
1: That's a great point, because you really see the uphill battle for a conservative, especially a fiscal conservative, somebody who says, well, we need to be careful about how much the government spends and um, how much... Uh, the government promises to provide for the American people because that perspective is one of austerity and one that says, oh, you know, we're not actually going to just focus on what we can all do together, as Barack Obama said. Like, government is what we can all do together. and It's the, the services, only thing
0: we all have in common.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that and vision world is there are worldview hopeful. issues with
0: that, but that's a broader conversation.
1: It is, it is. And I guess just the point I wanted to make is, that's very hopeful. And people w- would like to buy into that, I think, if you're a positive person and you believe in changing the world and impacting things. But um, but, yeah, then you're not even talking about the reality of, well, does that work? You know, if we pay more in taxes, are we actually going to provide free education, free health care and all of those things that people want? That's a good quality, like you said
0: how did government do the last time we gave them this much money (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and again i'm not a just a pessimist i i know that government is essential and it needs to provide certain services um the problem is when you get certain politicians who think that the government is the answer to all of our problems and that's just not true government's not good at doing the the few things it it needs to do right um So, I mean, education is a perfect example right now, and it has Mm -hmm. been for a long time. And I hate just beating up public education, but it's, you can't deny the obvious. No one would point to American public education and say that this is a thriving success.
1: It's not the gold standard.
0: And that's sad, because we need an educated populace in order for our experiment in self-government to work. Absolutely. So I understand why Thomas Jefferson would have really gone to bat and said, we need public schools. We need mm-hmm. public education. Yes, we, we do because we need educated people. But how do you get that? Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it's easier to say, well, we'll just pass a massive government bill and create a massive government institution that does this.
1: And when there are problems, we'll just throw more money at the problem. And that's a that's a hard thing. It's, it's not the
0: easy answer to say, we'll just use the biggest institution we have and throw money at it. But the easy answer is seldom the right answer. Yeah. and in truth, where does education happen most effectively I mean I was homeschooled <laughs> I I'm aware of all the shortcomings that can come into play with homeschooling but I've also sure. seen how many of the people that I knew that were homeschooled and what a what an amazing positive thing that was in their life right Not saying it's the only way to go or the perfect way to go but honestly like it was so much better than my, Local, local, co- uh, public school options, and why is that? And I, it's not because there's something magically different about studying the same book at home versus the same book at school. Part of it is the curriculum differences. You yeah, right, probably weren't one. reading the same books. A lot of people who are educated at home do so for religious reasons. They have more of a um, spiritually well-rounded education mm. that, and they have more of a you know spiritually well-rounded uh, character-forming upbringing in total. But you also just get the fact that this emphasizes how important the relationship of the family is and the relationship between the parents and the, the children. And when the parents are actively involved in that, you're going to see better education results. Public school teachers will tell you the same thing. The the kids that show up to public school and their parents are not involved in their life and in their education, they're not going to uh, do very well in school, unfortunately. And so you you need strong families seems to be the common denominator mm-hmm. in order for you to have successful students and for children to do well. And um, so that's that's the bigger issue. Schools can't um, really cover the gap. You can't substitute for that. The family is so essential to the society's health and well-being.
1: Absolutely. And I can speak to that personally as someone who was in a public education setting for most of my years the families, you know, around me, the ones who really were reinforcing their kids' education and, and my own family, you know, reinforcing my education, um, that really strengthened the quality of my public education because I continued learning at home. I was able to really work with my parents to solve problems that I had and um, enrich my education and read more about certain things. And that that really made the biggest difference. So I agree. I think strong families are the common denominator,
0: um, so to bring it back to the original analogy, yes, the public school system can achieve great things, but only if you have really strong families behind it. Mm-hmm. right so you, we can't pretend that when the public school system is not working, it's just because they don't have enough money. <laughs> like, yeah like that's not really the most important factor in the equation at all. Um, so if the if the family is the most important factor, how do you actually strengthen that up? Well, it's not through a massive spending bill in Mm -hmm. Congress, right? So that's where the federal government just tends to have these massive blind spots. And they think that they can fix all of the problems by just, oh, well, we'll put more money towards this institution that's not doing so great. Mm -hmm. Like, well, that's such a one-dimensional approach to any problem.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And
0: obviously it's not working. So Biden's falling into the same trap of saying we can fix all this through dedicating more money to it. Whatever it is, money will fix it. Like, mm-hmm. no, that, that's not true for my individual life. If I'm a deeply unhappy person, getting a pay raise at work isn't going to be the difference. Yeah, um, It's going to be something much deeper that deals with my humanity.
1: <laughs> yeah. But I think it's the easy answer. And so unfortunately, so I think easy. a lot of yeah. voters will connect with that because either they're discouraged with... Uh, the way things are in their own world and life, with their kids, schools, and um, other things around them, and so they think, "Oh yeah, well at least this guy wants to fix it and wants to help me," and they're not thinking about you know how empty those promises are. But there were a lot of other issues, um, so I want to get to um, another highlighter yeah. two before we move on. Um, I wanted to bring up their conversation on immigration mm. because we really haven't talked a lot about immigration. Um, I don't even know if it was an official category at the last debate or the the first debate. No,
0: it hasn't been an issue at all. And and even the... Did the moderator bring it up in this debate or did the candidates?
1: It was supposed to be an official category, um, but I don't know if the candidates got there first before the moderator. So, yeah, it was interesting. I guess
0: it could have been both, yeah.
1: But, yeah, I think this is a really great distinction between the candidates talking about their records and um, their visions because... Um, you know, they started talking about the family separation policy at the border, Mm. um, and how, um, Joe, basically Joe Biden accused president Trump of great cruelty for the fact that there are still to this day, apparently 550 children who are still separated from families and we can't find their families. And, um, this is just a great, uh, travesty on our record um as you know the united states and it was really interesting because he went on to criticize president trump of keeping them in cages and um and then president trump was able to respond and challenge and said well wait a minute he said who built the cages who (laughs) built the cages joe and Vice President Biden would never respond to that directly. He just kept harping on these 500 children. Um, And so getting into more of the substance of this issue, President Trump was articulating the fact very clearly that he did not begin this policy of detaining people at the border and separating families from their children. That started under the Obama administration, even though Vice President Biden— doesn't want to admit it and they don't want to talk about it. It is true. It started there. And then President Trump ended the policy. And the tragedy is that if it is indeed true that there still are over 500 children um, separated from their parents, um, the likelihood is that we really can't track them down because these children were probably brought by coyotes, by hired members of gangs and cartels and others who are using children. Um, smuggling things across the border and they're also extorting families having them pay exorbitant amounts of money to get their children across the border and you know connect with someone on the other side that may or may not ever happen and who knows what happens to the kids in transit and specifically joe biden denied that these children came across the border with coyotes he said no they came across with their parents and sure, maybe some of them did, but he doesn't know that. And he completely denied the corruption, the danger, the cartel trafficking that happens across our border when it's not secure. Uh, And so that was a really, really key moment for me to see how Joe Biden is not willing to acknowledge what the Obama administration did on immigration, which they deported far more people uh, than President Trump has. They also started that policy. um, And President Trump has been trying to take measures to change that uh, and acknowledge the reality of the danger and the brokenness at the border. Um, But President Biden wouldn't have it. He just went on a personal, uh, really unfounded attack. Would you say that's fair?
0: Absolutely. I'm glad you brought this up. You notice when Biden, and Biden's been doing this, this is his go-to debate tactic. When the debate starts to actually get interesting and someone brings up key facts for him to address... He, he, you know, starts to like rev up. He's like, well, you don't even understand. I was there and I did all this mm-hmm. and I did so much. And then he just kind of sputters out and he's like, you know what? Oh, it's just too much. I can't even handle it. And he starts to go on a moral rampage, you mm-hmm. know, like you're just bad and you just don't understand. And that is a it's a very disingenuous and manipulative way to debate. Yeah, it's an true. act. It's an act. Don't don't miss it for what it is. <laughs> it's him avoiding the real point behind the question. Um, or he's avoiding the point his opponent is making. Mm-hmm. It's it's the easy knee-jerk response with emotional outrage. Yes. Like, this is lazy thinking. Mm-hmm. A lot of us are tempted to do this when you're in a fight with someone and you know that they're, like, maybe critiquing you for something you did or said. And they're right. And you don't want to acknowledge that they're right. So what do you do? You just try to remember why you did the thing in the first place and you get all focused on the emotional center of it and you get angry and you're like I can't believe you would accuse me of that <laughs> it's
1: like a false even though you know they're outrage. right but
0: you want to just dig in your heels and double down anyway it's such a cheap and bad trick yeah. um anyway he does this constantly did it in the democratic debates and primaries Uh, watch any of his answers he he gets started on something and he'll start talking about the technicalities as if he could defend himself based on a technical standpoint Mm -hmm. and then he just like gives up on he's like you know what oh all that aside i just i'm a good man and i just want good things (laughs) and that's ultimately where he makes his pitch and did he actually answer the question no did he actually address his opponent's point No. no and are most people going to see through that? I don't know. Depends on how many people vote for them.
1: Depends on how you read it. Yeah.
0: But this leads me to another. Um,
1: another highlight?
0: Well, just something. Well, I was going to talk about this later. Anyway, let's stay, stick with immigration because I don't want to lose sight of this. I'm really glad that they did talk about immigration. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the broader things I think we learned from this debate is that one of these guys is a politician. Mm-hmm. One of them is not. One of them is the opposite. Yeah. Biden is the politician. Trump is the opposite. Yeah. Um, that can hurt Trump in some situations. It helped him in 2016 when he was running against Hillary because she, everyone knows this is a politician. She's so conniving and calculating. And she couldn't get very good likability um, ratings from the American people. Uh, so that helped Trump. But this time around, you get a guy like Biden who seems like an affable old grandpa. Mm -hmm. And this is where uh, Biden's politician slash smoothness factor can really help him against Trump uh, because Trump uh, will seem like the less authentic one of the two, ironically, because I think actually when you looked at their debate answers the other night... It was clear that Trump was the one who was being real with his answers. That's true. And Biden was the one who would just, you know, fly by the real point or ignore the question and run back to the whole, I'm a good guy. And Mm -hmm. I can't believe you would accuse me of this. I'm fighting for the soul of this nation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And did you actually say anything in all that? No. He's, He's just making vague moral statements that are like actually at their heart, Incredibly self righteous. But when Biden does it, what? We just, we're like, oh, sure, Joe, sure. Yeah. You're, you're Jesus. You've Mm -hmm. come back to save the soul of the nation. Yeah. And it's so shallow. It's shallow thinking either way. I I don't want anyone to simply make their pitch, they make American American people based on that. So on the immigration issue, you're right. Biden didn't answer the question of who built the cages. It was him and Barack. And he's, I don't know. He, he he realizes that in certain ways, um, he needs to kind of separate himself from the Obama legacy. And he does that subtly at times. And he implies yeah. that like Barack was the problem. And then at other times, he'll just say, well, there was a Republican Congress. And there was that interesting moment in the debate where Trump was saying, why did you get none of this done in your eight years you were it's there? And he's like, well, I had a Republican Congress. And there were like crickets for five seconds, right? Right. Because they were waiting for him to expound, and the moderator was giving him so much time that she suddenly realized she had. That's
1: right. And then he just said, "Nope, that's all. That's my answer."
0: We had a Republican Congress; nothing we could do. And you know, maybe that's you. Congress has the ability to to put a roadblock in front of the president. But guys, did the founding fathers put Congress in there and give them the the power to check the president because uh, they wanted nothing to get done? No, because it forces compromise. So you have Mm -hmm. to be willing to work together and give and take. And if you can't do that, then you're not getting anything done for the American people.
1: Yeah, that's true. And I mean, that was something that Vice President Biden was challenging President Trump on at other points of, hey, why don't you do a better job of working across the aisle? Why don't you work with Democrats and build a coalition better? And um, you notice Trump has got
0: a lot done. In these last couple years when he ha- has had to work with the Democratic Congress.
1: It's challenged him. But yeah, I would agree. It's true. I mean, you see the crime Pretty bill amazing. that they passed and some other things. It's not yeah.
0: just the fact that they're Democrat- Democrats and they control Congress. It's the fact that like it's Nancy Pelosi and he's Donald Trump and they hate each other. And they're still getting stuff done, like mm-hmm. voting the the new trade deal through. Yep. USMCA. Amazing, you know? <laughs> yeah. so. Yeah.
1: In an era where we seem to have given up on a lot of bipartisanship, where we believe that really we can only do things that, you know, the majority party believes in. We actually have seen some other examples. And I think you're right. We forget about that. And that's something to celebrate. But um, were there other specific highlights you wanted to get to?
0: Just real quick. I thought on the environment, I was so, imp- so surprised by how well Trump did in the environment section of the debate and the race relations portion mm. of the debate. Um, on race, I thought it was stunning that, you know, I, just look at the record. Look at what Donald Trump has done for black Americans. And I know that a lot of people... Uh, might have been so turned off by him comparing himself to Abe Lincoln. He kind of clarified it later. And he's like, I didn't say I that's was Abe Lincoln. And I didn't even say I've done more for black people than Abe Lincoln. I'm saying that since Abe Lincoln, yeah. I've done the most. <laughs> and if that is his intent, if that's what he means, then actually I think that's true. Uh, because... You cannot deny the the uh, the record that Donald Trump had in his first three years in office with the economy, yeah, with like record low unemployment for
1: African Americans,
0: for all demographics of Americans across the board. But yep. the fact that it was historically low for Black Americans is wonderful.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, the the work that he's done for criminal justice reform, uh, the work that he's done in giving more funding to historically Black colleges and universities—that
1: was an interesting point.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, what what can you really accuse this guy of? And this goes back to the authenticity point I made earlier when he said, I am the least racist person in this room. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I could relate with that because um, as a kid who grew up in California, where like race wasn't an issue, like I did grow up in a small town. It's not Mm -hmm. like I grew up in L.A. or anything. I grew up in a small town in California but it was diver- uh, a diverse uh, little town and uh, I like whites are not the majority there, right? Yeah, especially not today. In my town. Uh, we had a really sizable Latino population, really sizable Asian population.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and there were blacks. they um, not, they weren't a huge portion of the demographic. But, uh, you know, I had friends of all colors. <laughs> yes. And for me, that was a wonderful thing. That was a good thing. Mm-hmm. I liked the diversity of it. Because that's a symbol of unity in this little town that we can all share in life in this little town together. You know, we can have friends mm-hmm. with anybody, uh, even if they don't look exactly like us. Because your
1: friendships were based on things beyond your immutable skin color characteristics. Yeah.
0: So then I, you know, get older and and obviously we have all these race debates these days. And... As someone just coming from that background, it's so strange to me that so many people look at America and assume that America is the most racist thing ever, and mm-hmm. it's everywhere. I'm like, no, I didn't see that. That's not the way I look at the world. Um, and it's not because of my white privilege, and I've just been in a white bubble all my life. Mm-hmm. I've been in a very diverse bubble, and I enjoyed it. <laughs> and yeah. So I don't get why people would think that the opposite is, in fact, the norm, Um Anyway, so with, when Donald Trump was like, I don't know where people are coming from accusing me of being racist, I'm like the least, pers- least racist person in this room. <laughs> I was like, "That's I I bet he's telling the truth there. I don't think that's disingenuous. Just look at his life. Look at the people he's associated with in his entire life. No one accused him of being a racist until yeah. he ran for president and suddenly it became politically convenient to paint him as you know stereotypical evil Republican and they all hate black people. Like, oh, wow. So he just suddenly flicked a switch when he decided to run for office. I don't think that's true. And I think if people are willing to be honest, look, even if Trump loses this election in 20 years, are we going to look back and say, that was the most racist president in history? No, we're going to look back and say, who is the guy who passed the criminal reform bill and Mm -hmm. let a whole bunch of uh, black Americans out of prison? Oh, Donald Trump. Awesome. Who is the guy who put a whole lot of funding into historically black colleges? Oh, Donald Trump. Great. Yeah. Who was the guy who really spurred the economy on and, and helped create uh, opportunity zones for black Americans in the inner city? Donald Trump. How, yeah, how could you possibly outcomes. walk away with any different perspective unless you already have an agenda and you're trying to grind the axe?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's an excuse to hate him and it's totally unfounded. And I think his comment that you're mentioning shows, in a sense, his desperation of like, I don't know what more you want me to do, guys. I don't know what more you want me to say. I- I'm not a racist. I denounce man. white supremacy. <laughs> How but many times you? has he had Are to you do sure? that? I mean, that was so weird recently uh... where nobody believes him. And so, anyway. Yeah.
0: And if you don't know what we're talking about there, just there's some great compilation videos on YouTube about all the times Donald Trump has had to denounce white supremacy. And every single time, the journalists, quote unquote, journalists um, slash propagandists who are questioning him, they're like, well, you've never denounced white supremacy before. Are you willing to now for the first time? (laughs) But wait, you hesitated a little bit. Why? Why are you hesitating? Even at the, the town hall last week with Savannah Guthrie, he said, oh, my gosh, you're bringing this up again. I reject white supremacy, OK? And she's like, well, that's kind of a dodge. <laughs> like, oh, how, how, can a dodge? how can you call that We're a dodge? How could you call that a dodge? We're going to have to talk about the moderators later. You asked late, him a, later. <laughs> a big question, and he answered it point blank, and you're calling that a dodge. So <sighs> like, what does that say about their mind and their worldview? They've it already says a whole made it lot. up. It says a whole lot, but that's another conversation.
1: So as we wrap up our discussion on the final presidential debate of the 2020 election season, Mm. which is crazy to even say that, what did we learn, Spencer?
0: Well, like we said before, I think what we've learned is that one of these two guys is a politician, a professional, smooth politician. The other one is not. Mm -hmm. Uh, Of course, Biden's the politician here. And like we said before, in 2016, Trump is the outsider. He used that to his advantage. He was finally able to come back to that in this last debate. And I think that had gotten away from him and the storyline for this election cycle. Uh, But Trump got us back there when he looked at Biden and said, look, you've been there for 47 or whatever years. Yes. You just finished eight years in the White House as vice president for Obama. Why didn't you get any of these great things you're talking about done then? What stopped you? Why mm-hmm. didn't you get any of it done? And then he came back to his classic line from 2016. Politicians, they're all talk and no action. Yeah. If there's anything that summarizes Joe Biden's career, it is exactly that line. All talk, no action. Because the only things that he ever could have hung his hat on mm-hmm. as like, these are my staple achievements of a career in the Senate. He's now backtracking and saying, I'm sorry for all of that, right? Because it's particularly the crime bills that he was a part of. And actually... You know, Tucker makes the point a lot that those were actually pretty good bills <laughs> at the time. And now it's only because of the cultural climate mm-hmm. that we're not looking at that in a very charitable light. And we've totally forgotten the actual historical context for those things. Very but true. regardless, Biden's running away from those things now. And he's got nothing else to show yeah. for his decades in office. And so uh, it's it was too easy for Biden, I mean, for Trump to throw that at him and say, you're all talking to no action. And... Um, I thought that was a good summary of, of the choice that we have to make as Americans mm-hmm. between a guy who's clearly an outsider, painfully so, um, and another guy who's just, uh, just I don't want to say sn- snake oil salesman, but... <laughs> Because, I mean, Joe Biden does come across as a nice guy, but this is where you get into the whole Hunter scandal, right? And like Trump said, like, look, we're talking about a lot of corruption stuff here, Joe. If this is true, you're not an innocent little baby, (laughs) which is quite a way to put it. (laughs) But it's true. What's the deal with Hunter getting three and a half million dollars from, what was it, the wife of the Moscow mayor? Mm -hmm. Like, what's that about? What's What's the deal with him serving on Ukrainian energy boards?
1: And earning, you know, I just it it makes me so queasy that he's
0: getting money at all from foreign actors. Why not just like do what every other lobbyist does in America? Make money on American boards. (laughs) (laughs) Do something in America. But no, you're going to go overseas, and particularly to the countries whose foreign policy your father, the vice president, particularly Mm -hmm. oversees. That's just so shady. There's no other way around it. So. This ties into what we wanted to close on with moderating and, um, yeah. But before we go there, do you, what else do you think we've learned from this debate, Bailey?
1: Well, I definitely want to get to the moderating, but pivoting to back to what you said, I think we learned that Joe Biden is not willing to commit to any particular policy or, uh, specific positions on most issues he in this debate constantly was flip-flopping back and forth on his record as you've already mentioned and on so many issues he would answer yes but no and i mean hmm. fracking is you know one little example where classic
0: he's, politician answer
1: yes he's comm- Well, i never said you can check the videos I'm... what am i supposed to be saying no and then he would go back and say well I am going to ban fracking on Mm. federal lands in these certain places and times. And so he's, I think it's a specific vein of what you're talking about, of him being a politician, is that he's not committing. And he is absolutely um, talking out of both sides of his mouth. And so for those who want to assert that he is this trustworthy visionary leader who's going to restore normalcy to the country and we're going to all be at peace and hold hands and sing kumbaya under a Biden administration, Uh, we don't really know what we're getting from a Biden administration because he is constantly talking out of both sides of his mouth.
0: You know, that in itself tells you that Trump really has accomplished a lot because remember when Trump was elected, the whole country was fed up with the status quo and the establishment. We wanted the opposite of normalcy. So now that Biden is selling himself as the return to establishment (laughs) politics, like that's why even before Trump, uh, Obama was elected on the hope and change platform because people were so eager for change. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, Trump was change 2.0, right? Like just the establishment needs to go. We're going to turn to a total outsider who's never had any kind of political office. Um, And now Biden is like, let's go back to the guy who's been there for 50 years. And uh, again, he comes across as a nice guy, um, but there is so, so many red flags when it comes to the corruption around him and his family. And let's be real. How can you be where he's been for the last 40 some odd years and not be caught up in the dirty sides of politics? (sighs)
1: That's fair. I hope it's not inevitable. I think there are a lot of personal choices involved. But you're right. He's been living in the swamp, as they say, in the corrupt circles of D.C. and power circles. Well,
0: don't get me wrong. You, you do get there's such a thing as a great politician, right, <laughs> who does great things and is in office for the right reasons. But why has Joe Biden made it this far? Mm-hmm. Again, we just finished talking. He doesn't have an amazing track record. Mm-hmm. How the heck is he still around? Part of it? And this could be a good thing. He's good at sitting on the fence. He's mm. good at being a moderate or at least Appearing. acting like a moderate. Um, I saw a great excerpt from Justice Clarence Thomas's book about Joe Biden, because Joe Biden was mm. the head of the Senate Judiciary Committee Oh yeah, back when Clarence Thomas went through.
1: That's right. Obviously,
0: and that, those were botched hearings. It was awful. Clarence Thomas called it a high-tech lynching. Mm. Um, his honor was run through the, the dirt and the gutter because of Joe Biden and the way he handled the hearing. It was brutal. And Clarence Thomas has nothing nice to say about Joe Biden in his book. Uh, he talked about how Biden would call him on the phone and give him a little pep talk and be like, oh, I'm in your corner, buddy. You know, I, I trust you. You could trust me. I'm going to get you through there. And, um, and then he would go in public and do the opposite. Wow. You know, so but that's such a politician thing to do mm-hmm. right you just say what you need to say you kiss babies you shake hands you say the nice things to everybody and then you you know don't think twice about doing the exact opposite of what you told them you would do when you know crunch time arrives so yeah. joe biden is that guy he's not the charismatic transformational leader of his generation <laughs> he's just the guy who's been around the longest, and somehow he's survived up to this point. That's exactly how he won the the nomination.
1: Because he survived. The everybody party else decided fell.
0: we don't actually like Kamala Harris. That's why she got out before the primaries even started. We don't actually like Bernie Sanders. Who's left? Well, I guess Biden's our best option. So he finally <laughs> becomes you know the winner by default, and he's just the perfect picture of uh, somebody who wins because they've just been there he didn't go home yet so he was still there and he ends up winning
1: and can i make one last point about the outsider versus the politician so one thing that i think is a really big distinction that not a lot of us are focusing on is how joe biden is now a very wealthy man i mean you can look up details about his estates and his property holdings and his wealth uh he is a wealthy man who did not start out the way, that way. He comes from humble beginnings, uh, relatively speaking, and he will talk about that. But since he's been in government these past 47 years, as President Trump often brings up, he has become a very wealthy man. And that's really interesting to think about, like, how did that happen? Um, and I think there are some, you know, legitimate ways for that to happen and definitely seems like with more allegations about his son and with his dealings with foreign countries and beyond you see that he has really used his position in authority and power to his advantage personally in a personal gain whereas president trump is the opposite in a sense he has lost money he has not accepted his salary as president he left a very successful company in the hands of others um and in a sense has um you know, sacrificed wealth to serve in, in this office. And I think that's a huge distinction. Literally,
0: yeah. Trump gave up um, profits yeah. in order to run for president. Um, Biden not. came into politics <laughs> and on the back end became wealthy through yeah. it. So that that's a, a warning sign. Again, I, I hope to God that Biden is actually as pure and innocent as he claims to be. But everything that's coming out looks so bad. And I hope that we have thorough investigations and we figure out what actually happened and get to the bottom of it. That's the main thing that we need is the Mm -hmm. truth. That's what matters. And instead, Biden is ducking all the questions. The media is not confronting him with questions. And then no one's denying that. Like, did Biden say? You have to be. The fact that he was so precise In the way he addressed this, he didn't didn't say that the emails were fake. He didn't say that the laptop was fake.
1: Well, let's clarify. What are we even talking about when we talk about emails and laptops?
0: Right. Well, we're talking about the laptop, apparently, that formerly belonged to Joe Biden's son, Hunter Hunter Biden. And this was left at a computer repair shop in Delaware and abandoned. And then eventually Mm -hmm. the owner uh, looked at it and found a whole bunch of really bad stuff. That linked Hunter Biden and his father to a lot of shady business deals with foreign companies Mm -hmm. and governments and a lot of really bad stuff. And that's why it's a huge deal if it's real. Mm -hmm. Biden has never once said that the emails are fake. That's right. He's never once said that the laptop is fake. Yeah. Instead, he says that Rudy Giuliani is, is a Russian pawn. Now, what does that actually mean? It's
1: deflecting.
0: It doesn't mean anything. But again, this goes back to the whole Biden, you know, going into his moral outrage tantrum in order to throw up a smoke screen and and dodge the real question. Oh, I can't believe it. It's the same thing against Russia. Russia. Oh, Rudy Giuliani's just a Russian pawn. Notice what he doesn't say in there is that all of this is fake. The laptop never belonged to my son. Mm-hmm. All of these photos and the emails, not from me or from. my son, they're all fake. Like, well, if that's true, he would be saying it.
1: Exactly. And his campaign. This
0: looks so bad.
1: They're simply saying, I mean, even his communications director, as I understand it, is saying that they're just unverified. Unverified. it's like, well, wait a minute. Like, the one person who could verify this, well, the two people in particular, are joe biden and hunter biden and it's not that hard you work with them you work for them to verify and so they're they're just trying to minimize this and i think
0: that's so it's damning
1: really really speaks to um uh, the brokenness of our media um, and our moderators and so i i th- think we just have to have a quick word on you know what did you think of the moderating at this debate and how can we have a, a better debate next time
0: Yes, we need to figure out how to have better debates. And actually, on the plus side, I think that the mute button was a good um, addition yeah. to this debate. Be- not because I like okay. the idea of other people cutting off one of the debaters, but when we like saw it in practice the other night at the mm-hmm. debate, it was pretty much invisible. No, It never became an issue. And it if was it, limited. If it had become an issue, then it would be a lot more problematic. But instead, both debaters knew, look... Stick by the rules or else you will get muted, Mm -hmm. which defeats the whole purpose of them talking over each other or interrupting, right? Because you only do that because you want to be heard. But if you know that the mic won't be on, you don't even do that. So it's perfect. It's a perfect example of having the right kind of uh, enforcement behind good rules where you create incentives for people to follow the original rules, (laughs) right? And they actually do it. And that means you set up a really great system. And thus... You don't see the system through the lens of people breaking the rules Mm -hmm. and all these severe punishments having to be doled out. Instead, it's just like, you know what the punishment will be. You'll be muted. People decide, oh, it's not worth it. That tells Mm -hmm. you, like, you've actually really struck on some gold here.
1: Yeah. Which is why I think most Americans look back at the debate, uh, the final debate, and say that was a much higher quality debate than the first one. Absolutely. they actually engaged back and forth.
0: And I think the mute button was a big part of it, even though it never really had to make an appearance. Mm-hmm. That's how you know it was a winning idea. That's awesome. Fair. But now, on the, the negative moderators, side. <laughs> the moderators have been god awful. All of them from day one. And it started with Chris Wallace. See, Chris Wallace understands that this is the right goal. He wanted to be invisible at the first debate. Mm-hmm. He didn't even want to be noticed. He was hoping that people would forget who the first debate moderator was because Everyone would be so focused in on the you know the real answers Great being provided content. by the the candidates. And instead, everybody knows Chris Wallace did it and he was anything but invisible. He became a third debater. Yeah now the debate moderator we had the other night for the final debate.
1: Kristen Welker.
0: Kristen Welker. She I think was very professional. She was far more professional than Chris Wallace. But I was still annoyed by the slant to the questions and the way they were worded or worded and then also the way the time was managed. And so mm-hmm. you get this, this weird thing that happened repeatedly where tr- uh, Trump would say something, Joe Biden responds. And then after Joe Biden responds, in his response, he makes more accusations against Trump. So then Trump's like, well, I need to respond to that. Mm-hmm. And so the moderator was like, no, 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 we, ha- we have no time. We got to move on to a new question. And so for 10 seconds, she's talking over Trump and he's talking mm-hmm. over her as he's trying to get in a word against what Biden had said against him. But then so after infected. the 10 seconds, you know, Trump ended up saying something, even though she was talking over him the whole time. And then Joe Biden makes a slight little peep and he's like, well, let me respond to that. And then the moderator's is like, OK, vice president, go ahead. The floor is yours. And she would just like totally lay out and uh, give him all the space he needed. I didn't understand that. That was very inconsistent. Mm -hmm. Really bad way to manage time. And look, if you're going to have rules and allow people to respond to one another, just do it in a common sense way. Maybe you don't have enough time to handle six issues in one debate, which is why Uh we need multiple debates. But regardless... Why would you settle for something that's half-baked? And that's what you get if you, you're like, oh, we only got 40 seconds to handle national security. You can't do that in <laughs> 40 seconds. And if you're going to cut off the candidates before they can really respond to each other and, and uh, you know tie off the loose ends, then what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You You didn't plan the debate very well, and that's on you as a moderator. But my biggest pet peeve of all is moderators accepting bad answers that don't answer the original questions and moving on.
1: I agree. This is what I was wanting to bring up because it happened so frequently that we would start talking about an issue and it might be interesting content. Um, And particularly this issue of corruption that we were just talking about was one of them where the moderator didn't even articulate a specific question. She was asking each candidate about their relationship with China or with North Korea and how they would approach it, and so very general, future-looking questions. And then the candidates started accusing each other of corruption and accepting foreign money and things like that. So very pinpointed, clear allegations. And instead of the moderator following up and saying, well, Mr. President or Mr. Vice President... Did you accept this money? Yes or no? Oh, I'm sorry, sir. You know, when they don't respond yes or no, I need a yes or no answer. That never happened. In fact, not only did she not follow up, but she didn't even approach the question. She changed the subject.
0: Exactly. Oh, thank you for saying that. It was so annoying to me. It was a disservice to all Americans. It really Republicans and Democrats. Look what the the one reason we have journalists, that call themselves professionals, is because they garner the information that we, the people need in order to actually participate in self-government and be the back the backdrop for the power structures that we have over us, okay? Yeah, the people need to have the information so that we can vote effectively. And they're not doing that at all because they're throwing up like Biden gets softball questions, right? instead of her asking, hey, did hunter biden receive three and a half million dollars from moscow and yes or no part
1: of that for you yes or like no?
0: yes or no I, I would really like to know that mm-hmm. and instead you know she just asks what do you have to say about these allegations that are you know saying you might have done something improper was something improper done do you see the difference between those two questions That's so
1: vague yeah
0: One is automatically, like, inflected and contextualized in a positive way. Did you do anything improper? All he has to say is, no, I didn't. I didn't do anything improper. That doesn't give us, the people, any information. Mm -hmm. What's a reporter supposed to be doing? Giving us information. So instead, it would be great to know, like, here are the claims. Did Biden receive hundreds of thousands of dollars from the Communist Party of China? Yes or no? I would really like to know that as an American voter. And it didn't happen I think most Americans would like to know that because these claims are out there. And the only thing that uh, Joe Biden has said thus far is, "Um, this is Russia disinformation. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Just
1: avoiding the question.
0: It's all a smokescreen. So she didn't do that. So while she's throwing softballs to Biden, which are basically just giving him as much time as he needs slash wants to dodge all of the accusations we made you know then they're throwing 99 mile an hour fastballs at trump's head (laughs) and he's just trying to uh, get out of the way most of the time but i i'm just so annoyed by the utter failure of media and i know this is a cliche now it's too easy to rip on the media at this point because they're so bad at their jobs but we have to find a way forward remains the in order for us to have a real democracy, we need to have informed voters. Exactly. You can't have one without the other. Yeah. And so the press is essential. They're valuable. They serve a really valuable function and we need them to do their job.
1: Yeah. And this is a great reminder of why you are constantly challenging me and challenging, you know, our wondrous family not to be a lazy thinker, because especially these days, we really have to be careful about allowing opinion commentators to do our thinking for us, uh, including us you know it's not as though we want people to listen to our podcast and just think the way that we do. I think it's so important for us to to dig into the facts and make decisions based on evidence and mm. that's not popular anymore. Um, but all in all, you know I I'm thankful we had a third debate, even if there were plenty of things that left me wanting more or wanting something different and so I'm I'm definitely thankful that we got a final look at the candidates that America did and now you know we have less than 2 weeks mm. before the final um voting occurs and on election day November 3rd and I think there's lots of good reasons to pray
0: right and it's we don't know what's going to happen. I think it's going to be close. It really mm-hmm. it all boils down to Arizona and Pennsylvania. Now, the crazy thing is that at the end of the debate, Biden made some comments about uh, real ending the oil industry in America, which Ooh. will obviously make a splash in America's oil production industry, and so
1: in a variety of states. <laughs> in a
0: variety of states. So we'll see if that makes a difference. Uh, you know that the media won't be running with wall-to-wall coverage on what will we do when we aren't energy sufficient anymore and we're not energy independent and what are all of these great oil workers and people in the oil industry going to do when Joe Biden kicks them out on their ear and they no longer have a job and they can't feed their families? Because that's how they would handle something equivalent from Trump, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, They would immediately turn this into um, Trump is an authoritarian dictator, doesn't care about people. And let's look Mm -hmm. at all the people that he's going to kill with his bare hands.
1: (laughs) Through his policies.
0: But now Biden talks about eliminating fossil fuels in the oil industry. And fracking in some context, I don't know where he stands because he keeps flip-flopping. And no one even cares because the media's number one goal is to get Biden elected. So we're not really interested in examining him as a candidate. It all comes down to, to get Trump no matter the cost. But that's, that's not professional journalism. That's just you're, you're a propagandist for the Democratic Party at yeah. that point. Yeah. And all the American people suffer. So um, we need better media. We need better debates Mm -hmm. because we need to elevate the political discussion that we're having across this country. If we value democracy, that's what it would look like. So this leads pretty well to our leadership challenge for you guys this week.
1: Absolutely. And this is one brought to you by Spencer.
0: Bailey and I were talking a bit about the right way to go about political discussion And I think uh, I've mentioned this to you guys before, but I really try to avoid online conversations with politics, especially on Facebook. Facebook (laughs) just is awful. And sometimes it's really helpful. And you Mm -hmm. get to see pictures of your friends at their birthday party or their children (laughs) or whatever it is.
1: It's a good tool when used for the right purpose. And
0: so I'm developing a new rule for myself, which is only ever talk to people on Facebook that you personally know and even, you know, could call up on the phone and have a normal conversation with. Mm. Don't talk to anybody else on Facebook because most of them are not there for nice reasons. They're not there to make friends, especially if you're talking about politics. Um, And I was reminded this last week, I think, Um, I saw someone who posted a seemingly innocent question and was like, how do conservatives rationalize you know, uh, what was it? Uh, Conservatives and Christians are so Mm pro-life. Why do they support abortion? Isn't that a violation of the separation of church and state? And I was like, okay, you seem serious and sincere.
1: It's an interesting question.
0: And if you're offering that question sincerity, I would be happy to have that conversation with you. And so I posted a short little answer. Actually, it was Probably not that short because I I went into the whole all men are created equal thing. Amen. And she never responded, but instead there were a bunch of people that just started dogpiling and they were just trolls and they were, you know... Oh, Republicans suck, and you're white, and you're racist, and, you know, it. None, none of it even made sense, and they're not even, like, they didn't address my points.
1: Yeah, which you weren't even they, arguing this from a partisan standpoint, it sounds like. They
0: weren't, ar- no, no, I was talking about the ideas, yeah. but no one uh, was willing to go there, so anyway, it was just a reminder to me that if you think that we will, you know, change minds and turn hearts through Facebook, you're, you're so mistaken. You will be depressed mm-hmm. in no time. So don't put your hope in Facebook. It always comes back to doing our relationships well and human interactions well. So so my rule for myself, and I encourage you guys to join me, is don't talk to people you don't know on Facebook. <laughs> don't even do political conversations on on a public forum like Facebook because you know what? It it normally doesn't go anywhere positive. Now, if you don't believe me and you want to figure this out the hard way, Ooh. be my guest. But um,
1: this is kind of like the old rules, especially since we're getting close to Halloween. If your mom saying, "Don't take candy from strangers." I know. It's, I feel be like beware. I feel you like never know who you're going to interact with. Not
0: even a dad yet, and I'm already saying this kind of stuff. <laughs> but it's true, and you know, part of it is the. I'm sure there's a name for this phenomenon with what, what the public forum um, phenomenon where people don't talk to each other. They're really talking to the crowd mm-hmm. that they imagine is watching them. And so they're really preaching to their own choir as they're trying to put a beat down on you. And you're just there trying to have a serious conversation one-on-one. Yeah. You know what? Maybe message people privately on Facebook mm-hmm. if, you know, if you see a friend and that you disagree with them about something reach out to them one on one. I think that automatically puts the conversation on a more healthy footing mm-hmm. because it, there's no competitive element to it. Like you're going to debate each other and the winner will be glorified in front of all your friends and neighbors.
1: The score points.
0: You know, and the loser yeah. will be humiliated in front of everybody. No, you don't want to do that. That's not the point.
1: And this is a great reminder, Spencer. I appreciate you bringing it up and sharing. I mean, just the choice you've made for yourself and in inviting the rest of us into that because it's such a common temptation. It's it's an easy way, especially with the pandemic, to connect with people since we're isolated from a lot of other normal parts of life. Um, and it's also become so common to use social media, Facebook and beyond as a medium for political discussions. And I think we want to pretend that they're always substantive and that we always have the right heart. So it's always worth it. But uh, yeah i mean there are a lot of other better ways to use our time and if we really do need to have that discussion with somebody you can probably find a better forum and, yeah. and i hope we do i hope you know you and i focus on spending time around the dinner table or talking with people one-on-one or on the phone you know if we have concerns or want to talk through issues especially in the run-up to the election or even after mm. that we're able to do that in person so great challenge Spencer.
0: My pleasure. The sad truth is there are a lot of mindless trolls out there, so don't feed the trolls.
1: <laughs> don't feed trolls. That's and Spencer's message for don't you Don't think
0: you have an obligation to, you know, uh, give extra time to try to convert people who are just being idiots to you. Um So this is my closing point on this. Okay. It always comes back to having the wisdom and the judgment to pick your battles wisely. Yes. Because uh, even, you know, I think... In person conversations are the best. Phone calls are better than emails. Uh, but sometimes all you have is email. Sometimes, you know, all you have is uh, text messages or whatever to talk through important things with friends and family. But even then, not all people get into the same conversations for the same reasons, right? That's so if people point. are getting into the conversation with, you know, a different end in mind, like they do want to compete with you and they want to defeat you and they want to prove to you that they're smarter than you. Just don't even get into that. This is a great way. Oh, this reminded me of in Proverbs in scripture. You notice hmm. there's one proverb that says only a fool answers a fool, right? Don't answer the fool in his folly, which makes it sound like just ignore fools. Don't, don't give them your time. And then there's another proverb that says basically the opposite, like don't Uh, don't let the fool's words stand, but rather, uh, you know, respond and show him why he's wrong.
1: Which requires wisdom to know which is which, right?
0: And that's not a contradiction. It just means that both of these things are true in different situations. Mm -hmm. And it's up to us to figure out when is when. And I think that a big part of it comes back to the relational part of it as well. So if you're at Thanksgiving dinner and you have a beloved family member or a cousin or a friend that you love dearly, but you totally disagree on politics. Try, try to find the right way to have that conversation if that's really something that they want to do, mm-hmm. and try to do it in a loving way. But uh, if you have a neighbor or a classmate or someone that you know is just they're trying to, you know, pull one over on you or defeat you and somehow
1: and don't not, don't waste time. Yeah if they're not actually asking questions or interested in hearing your thoughts, but they only want to hear themselves talk, um, I think that's a really big red flag. So right. the ticket points.
0: to enter into a conversation is the willingness to be proved wrong. If you're not willing, if you're not open-minded enough to be proved wrong by the person you're talking to, you don't deserve to be in that conversation. And that's true for both sides.
1: That's a humbling point, but I'm, I'm glad you put it that way because I think that really forces me to look at myself when I'm talking with someone and thinking, am I just trying to make myself look good or sound like I know what I'm talking about or am I actually engaging because I want to learn something mm. and talk with this person in a productive way? So It's a hard yeah. standard,
0: of course, right? And Because it, it's so easy to just uh, turn your opinions into a belief system.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then they're closed off and insulated and no one could ever talk you out of it because you're hard-headed and stubborn at that point. But you're hurting yourself. That's lazy thinking. So mm-hmm. we should never settle for that. You should always realize that we're, we're navigating this tension between faith and reason. Um, and we're trying to figure out what is this world that we live in and what is true. How do we know that? How do we act on it? And it's not always so easy or obvious, but you can only have those kinds of conversations in the context of love and respect. And so part of respecting the person you're talking to is not coming into the conversation assuming that they're an idiot and they're evil and they're totally wrong for sure. Mm -hmm. And you are perfect and supreme in all things. So it always Um, comes back to that, right? You
1: have to assume the best and be respectful of the other person. Yeah, kind of goes back to what we were talking about a few weeks ago of being willing to have that faith in the other person. And I mean, that's how we're going to unify. They, that's how they ended the debate, you know, the other day, is talking about, you know, how the are you going to... The vice presidential un- debate. Well, and the presidential debate. of How are you going to unify the country?
0: Oh, right. How are you going to talk to the people who didn't vote for you? Yeah. yeah, I thought actually Biden did a... He answered the question more directly. Mm-hmm. And he keeps coming back to this thing, um, which is something Obama said. And I'm sure he's not the first to have said it. But Obama said this in his first major speech to the nation at the it was at a democratic national convention right and obama said there are no red states and blue states they're just united states and i will be a president for all americans and that's exactly what biden is saying now and that's a wonderful comment
1: and that should be true yeah for any it president should
0: absolutely be true if you want to lead the country you need to represent the whole country and love the whole country uh the problem you have to do is that. that biden said that he's like yeah, I don't see America in terms of red cities and blue cities or red states and blue states. But all the COVID spikes are happening in red states. I'm like, oh, you can't say both of those things back to back. That's
1: very true. <laughs> you just negated your own point. It
0: was just like Michelle Obama saying, we got to take the high road because it's the only road. But by the way, Donald Trump is a dirtbag and a scumball. <laughs> and I hate him. And it's like, no, you can't do both of those things. Yeah. Um,
1: so I think it's a great and especially challenge, especially not back to back. Not to be hypocritical in that way, and to choose to pursue unity with people around us in both our words and our actions. It's a, definitely what I take away from this debate and from this season.
0: Yes, and it's a hard, it's a hard road to walk. It's a high standard, but leadership should come with high standards. That's true. So if we want to grow as leaders. And servants to the people around us. Obviously, you can't do that with a prideful and arrogant heart. You have to keep an open mind. You have to be humble enough to acknowledge you could be wrong. Mm-hmm. And even better, think through it and understand like, what would people have to show me to prove me that I'm wrong?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? So, That's if true. you haven't thought about that recently, think about that. Think about what you believe and why you believe it's true uh, with whatever opinion it happens to be. And then understand like, well, Obviously, this point of view has a strength, and that's why I buy into it. But there's also probably a corresponding weakness. And if that corresponding weakness, if someone could prove to me that it's greater than I un- understood, or um, more, you know, inherent to the thing I understood, whatever, then I need to be willing to rethink my position. So that's I agree. It's a hard thing to do because. Most of the time, we're just trying to figure out what we believe in the first place without doing the extra mile to think about, how might I be wrong? (laughs) But... (laughs) Takes work. Good thing is we got a whole lifetime to do this kind of stuff, right? And have conversations with people that we love and uh, people who are also interested in pursuing the truth with us. Amen. That's what we try to build at Windrose, is that kind of an environment. Absolutely. Hopefully, it's what we're doing on the podcast
1: place where you can explore big ideas and engage with one another. That's always what we want to pursue at Wendoros.
0: On that note, this has really been a pleasure. Thank you, Bailey, for talking through all this with me.
1: Absolutely. Thanks so much, Vince. This has been fun and uh, so important as we process this final debate and prep for the election.
0: Definitely. And thank you guys for joining us in this time. Uh, it's been another fun session of Compass Point. We look forward to doing another session before the election. So we'll have our final Election Day countdown.
1: Stay tuned.
0: Definitely join us for that. And in the meantime, remember that your life is value. And keep fighting the good fight for us. We love you guys, and we look forward to talking with you soon.